0: House Season 2. Thanks for joining us in your homes, around your tables, or in your small groups in our church-wide study, Promises Kept, the whole story of the Bible. This is Part 2 of Chapter 2, Broken by Rebellion.
1: Uh, Do you all remember that song by Louis Armstrong? Uh, It was called, What a Wonderful World. It's one one of those songs that you can so easily hum along with or sing to. And in the song, four times Armstrong sings, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. But wonderful isn't all we think of when we think of this world. Wonderful we want, wonderful we wish, wonderful is what we get glimpses and tastes of, but wonder, we know, is not all that fills our world. It is at the same time full of pain, problems, heartache, and tragedy.
0: And how this came to be is what we traced in last time's study in Genesis 3. The very good world God made, humanity broke, This by Adam and Eve, when tempted by an evil being, the devil, to disobey God.
1: Yeah, a temptation that we recall was far more than enjoying a juicy piece of fruit. It was temptations uh, to question the veracity of God's word and God's good character and and God's forewarned consequences and God's, God's judicial place to determine what is right and wrong. Those temptations, the same ones that we're tempted with today, are what Adam and Eve bid on, and the world has catastrophically never been the same. And how?
0: Well, a separation from God, a corrupted heart now under the devil's power, a far from perfect relationship with fellow man or woman, a resistance from the earth itself to work with man. In that act of disobedience, Adam brought a curse upon every person yet to be born. And yet...
1: And yet, as we ended last time, there is hope. We can sit here at our kitchen table and you can be there at home or wherever you are and experience real hope. Right from within that same scene, that promise that came from Genesis three fourteen to 15, it said, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. And on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel.
0: And that's a promise God made right in the garden. A promise he did not have to make, but it is a promise that he has fulfilled. That's what we will see today as we leap once again from the pages of the Old Testament to the pages of the New Testament to Luke 11, the promise kept by God. We come to Luke chapter 11, verse 14, right into the ministry of Jesus Christ. And what here is Jesus doing?
1: Well, in that verse, in chapter 11, verse 14, it says that he was casting out a demon. Let's just stop right there. Jesus is driving out an evil spirit. The last time that we saw an evil spirit in our study, he was the one doing the casting. He was casting temptation on Adam and Eve, casting doubt on the worthiness of God or submission to God. And the result of the snake's success with Adam and Eve is that God drove them out of the Garden of Eden. But here we have an entirely, entirely different kind of casting out, and it is Jesus driving out a demon. And here is the big picture of Luke 11:14 14-23. Luke is showing that Jesus' miracles establish his legitimate authority as the Messiah, the Son of God, sent to deliver us from the power of Satan. But Jesus' authority also put him in conflict with the Jewish religious authorities and they didn't want to yield to him. So what can we learn from this text? What difference does it make for us? Uh, First of all, what we see in all of this is that there is a spiritual battle raging with two and only two sides. Mm -hmm. Scripture clearly teaches that Satan is a real spiritual being. He is not just an impersonal force for evil. And his act in Genesis 3 was not his final act. His forces are at work here in Luke 11, and they are just as much as at work uh, here in 2020 in Kelowna, B.C., or wherever you live.
0: You know, there are many obscure views about Satan, but we want to go to Scripture to find out what is true. As a young Christian, one of my university professors shared with the whole lecture hall why he didn't believe in God. His reasoning? If God is all-powerful and all-knowing, then there must be an equal and opposite enemy who is also all-powerful and all-knowing, the yin and the yang. Because he was sadly mistaken about the nature of God and of Satan, he did not want to believe in what he thought was a biblical worldview. How I wish I could go back and share with him that Satan is not God's equal. Satan was an angel created by God that had chosen to rebel and was cast down to earth to await God's judgment. He is not all-knowing and all-powerful, but he is seeking to lead us away from God's path and towards the destruction and judgment that awaits him.
1: Yeah, so Satan and his minions, they are just as committed to your ruin and destruction now as they were to Adam and Eve's. We could rewrite the four spiritual laws, right, Lauren, mm-hmm. and say it this way. Satan hates you and he has a terrible plan for your life. So since God's plan is for his own glory to be be reflected through the human race, Satan will do whatever he can to defile and to degrade people otherwise. Mm. And so here in this case, in this passage, the demon caused the man to be dumb or unable to speak. In verse 14, now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke. Okay, now we might be thinking, how does this apply to me? I mean, like how often, if ever, do I or you come across a scene like this in our lives?
0: And while we may not encounter such extreme cases very often, we should not be lulled into thinking that Satan is not alive and well on planet Earth in our day. J.C. Ryle comments on this this way, Do we suppose that there is no such thing as the influence of a dumb devil in the present day? If we do, we had better think again. What shall we say of those who never speak to God, who never use their tongues in prayer and praise? What shall we say in a word of those who can speak to everyone but God? What can we say but that Satan has despoiled them of the truest use of a tongue?
1: Yeah, so what that quote is getting at is that, you know, sometimes we look at nice people, decent, law-abiding citizens, and we assume that they're not in Satan's domain as if there is some big neutral zone between God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom, but remember, Satan—you know—from Genesis three, three, one—he's crafty. I mean, he can work just the same by leaving somebody in a not too bad condition. He knows that a that a decent job and some sharp clothes is all one might need to think, "Hey, uh, this person couldn't be in Satan's domain." So there is a word to us here. Uh, We can't be deceived. A person may not be physically struck dumb and blind by demons, though he or she can still be just as much in Satan's evil domain and headed for an eternity in hell, if not rescued by Jesus Christ.
0: Right. We might not see physical cases every day of people struck blind and dumb by demons, but spiritually, dumbness and blindness are so prevalent in our world. Jesus speaks much about people having eyes that do not see and ears that do not hear spiritually. We're also reminded of the spiritual blindness that the God of this world, Satan, has caused in the mind of unbelievers in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, to blind them from seeing the glory and beauty of the gospel and the glory of who Christ is.
1: Okay, so there is a spiritual battle raging with two and only two sides. Either a person (laughs) ignores or rejects the gospel and remains in Satan's domain or, Jesus Christ saves him and he is transferred to the kingdom of God's beloved. And that leads to this second point. Jesus has the authority over the devil's power to save and to rescue and to transfer one from, the kingdom, from one kingdom to the other. So let's look at the end of verse 14. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. Or it could say, and the crowds were amazed. So what they were amazed at is whether they knew it or not, they were being witness to some of the fulfillment of Genesis three fourteen to 15. By driving out that demon, Jesus had just crushed some of the work of the devil.
0: Yeah, they were amazed because this Jesus was fully man, born of a woman, and he had just done a work only God could do. And they saw it, and they were astonished. And this should be us. We should be astonished at the absolute authority and power of Jesus. But amazed isn't everyone's response. Nor was it everyone's response in this passage. Verse 15, but some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven.
1: Yeah, this is this is a wild verse. And here we're reminded that, You know, people will come up with all sorts of ridiculous ideas to explain away who Jesus is. And here they're saying that Jesus is in partnership with the devil or he's under the devil. They're saying, you're casting out demons because you're working for the prince of demons. That's how you do this. Wow. (laughs) So, you know, it is their hard-heartedness that they would come up with such a senseless answer. But you know what? Uh, Today... It is the same hard-heartedness by which people will will say anything to explain away the person and the work of Jesus. Uh, They will call him a myth. They will say he is just a good teacher or a philosopher, that he is one of many gods or an angel or any other kind of harebrained idea, almost anything, so long as they don't have to confess Jesus as Lord and God. And it is hard-heartedness, and it is unbelief, And that is exactly what Jesus knew.
0: Verse 17, but he, knowing their thoughts, knowing their intentions and their motives to get him, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub.
1: Uh, Jesus just points out the absurdity of their accusation, doesn't (laughs) he? (laughs) Uh, why would Satan empower someone to destroy his own kingdom? That's what you're claiming? Uh, I mean, how irrational can you be? That is like a coach telling one of his players to go and tackle his own quarterback. I mean, what kind of strategy is that? It's, it, it's not one. Uh, how weak an argument. Is that the best you can come up with? But you know, that is how it is today. One may come up with anything, no matter how absurd, so long as you don't have to admit the obvious. And here the obvious is that Jesus casts out demons by God's power.
0: But it is this same hard-heartedness in our day that we see everywhere. The denial of a holy Bible, of a creator God, of a created order, man and woman, male and female, and most pointedly, the denial of the lordship of Christ himself, the denial of the obvious and the supply of the ludicrous. This is what the sin nature does. It is both deaf to and redefining of what God has plainly proclaimed and revealed.
1: And so Jesus says, your argument is insensible. Uh, Let me tell you the plain facts of what is really happening. Verse 20. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. That term, finger of God, it goes back to Exodus 8.19. And there the Egyptian magicians recognize God's power through Moses. Jesus is saying that if Satan is not behind this power, then clearly God is.
0: But I love that this is expressed as happening by the finger of God. Like it's just that easy for Jesus. His authority over the devil is only as if lifting a little finger. Jesus goes on to explain what he is really doing in this scene. Verse 21. When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe.
1: So here Jesus is saying that the strong man is the devil. Uh, So first of all, let's make no mistake. The devil is strong. He, He is armed, it says. He has a palace and is strongly guarding his goods. So let's not make a mistake. The devil is strong, and it would be a deadly mistake to think he isn't. But the world makes that mistake. Uh... To the world, the devil is fairy tale or kids' play. No, Jesus calls him a strong man, fully armed. Uh, however, what Jesus goes on to say also, he says, But what you also need to know is that someone stronger than him is here. Isn't that right?
0: Yes, verse 22 But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. This is amazing. I love this verse. Jesus is the one in verse 22 attacking and overcoming the strong man. Jesus is the stronger man attacking. He's not Satan's equal and opposite like my university professor thought. Jesus is the stronger one. Overcoming, taking away the other's armor and taking the spoils. And make no mistake, our God is a warrior. He's not only the lamb, but also the lion. And for what?
1: Yeah, for the spoils, uh, it says. Uh, who or what are the spoils? Oh, well, that's people. That's you and me. And so this is an amazing picture of the purpose along with the power of Jesus. That he came to rescue us from bondage as, as the much stronger man. It, it's like one of those action movies that maybe we've all seen where the, where the hero chases down that really strong and really bad bad guy. He kicks down the door. He beats him up. He takes back everything or every one that has been stolen. In other words, again, Jesus Christ has authority over Satan's power.
0: Amen. But what qualifies Jesus to do this?
1: Uh, what, what qualifies Jesus to do this? Uh, the answer is that he is not born of Adam. He, he is born of a woman, yes, but not born of Adam. And so we're talking about his virgin birth, he is the new Adam. He is the new man. And this is to say that he was not born with a sin nature and that he never rejected God and never had a sin nature. And, and here we could refer to Luke chapter four, one through 13. And that is the scene where Jesus was also tempted by the devil. And there, Satan used those same strategies on Jesus. But unlike Adam, he trusted God, trusted God's word and obeyed. Jesus conquers the devil by overcoming temptation and living a life of perfect righteousness. And that is why it is said in Hebrews 4.15 that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So the Lord Jesus had a sinless life but a sinless life also given up to a substitutionary death. As Jesus would go to the cross, die a death of consequence that was ours as a substitute in our place for sin. And that is how Jesus is uniquely and alone able to defeat the devil on our behalf. So we've seen that there is a spiritual battle raging with two and only two sides, and Jesus Christ, and only Jesus, has the authority over Satan's power to deliver us from the bondage of Satan. And now this leads to this last truth.
0: Number three, we are either on Jesus' side or Satan's side. Jesus said, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Luke 11:23. 23. In other words, neutrality is not an option. You can't straddle the fence by saying, I'm not a committed follower of Jesus, but neither am I a follower of Satan. Nor can you correctly say, I don't follow Jesus or Satan, I'm my own master. Jesus makes it plain. Either you follow him or you are against him and in Satan's camp, those are the only options.
1: And so each person is forced to choose sides in this heavenly war. And what is the way to be on Jesus' side? Well, having heard the word of God, we have to act on it. You know, I remember this happening in my life. Lauren, you mentioned that phrase, straddling the fence. Mm. Well, as a a teenager, uh, I went to Green Bay Bible Camp. And I was in that place where I was uh, there for the whole summer and I was hearing the word of God night after night at campfire. But I was straddling that fence. And I was thinking to myself uh, up till then that, you know, maybe when I'm older, Then I will get more serious about God. But for now, it's not urgent. I can kind of keep doing my own thing. But you know, night after night, as the word of God was preached, it kept piling up on my heart and kept weighing heavily uh, down on my heart uh, of the dangerous place that I was in. That reality of being aligned with the devil or with God, uh, of with hell or heaven, And I remember one night on a cabin bunk in the quiet and in the dark, uh, then acting on it, responding to the word, responding to what I had heard, and expressing my need to Jesus for him to save me, to bring me into his kingdom, to begin to live with and for him. And you know what? From then on, I I truly knew that the Lord had done this for me. Uh, How did I know? How did I know he had done this for me? Well, here I think again of that deaf and mute man in the text in Luke 11. In a similar way, I was now truly, uh, joyfully able to hear the word of God and speak the word of God. In other words, a spiritual freedom had come upon me to know, love, and serve God. So a life on Jesus' side is this. It is one that continues to hear the word of God and to do it. And no, not by perfection, but in a new direction. So we just have to ask, is that you today at home? Are you in the direction of following Christ? Having heard the gospel, have you acted on it? Have you responded to it? And if you've never committed yourself to Christ uh, and to his kingdom, I'd urge you, if you're hearing this word of God, to respond to him. Respond to him today. Turn from your sin, turn to Christ by faith, and he will deliver you from the domain of the evil one and into his own kingdom.
0: Jesus is the fulfillment of Genesis 3, verses 14 and 15. How will the problems of the world or for each person be healed? Not by society. Everyone has rejected God and is under sin's curse, the devil's power, and death's penalty. The problems of the world for each person can only be solved by the only sinless one. Jesus Christ, the God man. As we wrap up today, we want to leave you with some encouragement that we find in this fulfillment of God's promise to send a rescuer who will make all things right.
1: Yeah, so first of all, I think we can be encouraged by this. Um, when things look dark, when things are hard, and let's face it, things do seem quite dark and hard these days. Let's remember this God wins, God defeats the powers of darkness. He triumphed over them at the cross. And so as you and I encounter spiritual battles and are attacked in our Christian walk, we need to remember 1 John 4.4 that says, He who that is in you, that's Christ, is greater than he who is in the world. God wins.
0: And number two is, do not fear in the valley of the shadow of death. God is with you. He is your protector. Jesus is the stronger man who will never leave you nor forsake you. We are called to submit ourselves, therefore, to God, to resist the devil, and he will flee from us, James 4, verse 7.
1: So the promise kept that we see today is this. We have a Savior who has overcome Satan, sin, and death. And those who trust him by faith, he has delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, where we have full redemption and forgiveness of sins. So let's be greatly encouraged that God does not leave us where we deserve to be, under the power of the devil, but instead, Jesus came to free us.
0: May we live in this freedom as God's sons and daughters today. Amen. As we continue in our study through Promises Kept, the whole story of the Bible, please join us in two weeks. This podcast comes out every second Friday. Join us as we dive into the first half of chapter three, Covenant Made. May God bless you in Christ. We'll see you next time.